the week of July 25th, 2021, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 550, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And in Birmingham, Alabama, I'm Michael Giltz. You know, Sperling, I was invited to go to the Jungle Cruise premiere that happened this week, but I said, no, wait a second. That might interfere with my ability to do this podcast, and I don't want to let our viewers down. So I said, Dwayne, sorry, I'm going to have to miss it this time. Well, you How know, are you doing? Thing, uh, well, I'm doing okay, but I am going on that Jungle Cruise, and it's next week, so we won't have a show. What? Actually. Yeah, we're not going to have a show next week because I'm going to be on a Jungle Cruise with Dwayne Johnson. Sperling, letting people down again. Yeah, well, you know, I have to, you know, I have a reputation to uphold here, so... <laughs> so we will have a podcast two weeks from now. So this is yes. for the week of July 25th. So sometime in like August 8th or something will be our next podcast two weeks from this Monday or whatever. Yeah, but you know what? I, I'm not as concerned right now uh, about the entertainment industry and I'm really the film industry as I used to be because Good. I think everything is going to just go back to the way it used to be. And what I mean by that is, you know, right now everybody's like, well, the, the, the release window is shrinking, box office is hurting, piracy, VOD, PVOD. You know what? It's all going to return to normal because these companies always figure out that there is a certain way to do business and a certain model that makes them money. And how do I know that? Because this weekend, I watched Ted Lasso with my kids. It's now out. The second season of Ted Lasso is available. The first, the first episode, yeah. Well, okay, you just hit the nail on the head. They were <laughs> just, they, they, we watched the whole first episode of the second season. And here they were, ready to dive right into episode number two. And Welcome to my world, kids. That's what you said. We got to wait a week. What? They had no, they, what do you, what do you mean that, that that's what Disney does? Disney plus and Hulu and Peacock. No, we, the, everybody's doing this. Why is everybody doing this where they only put out one show a week? And then they said, oh, what's this Schmageddon? Let's watch this Schmageddon. And then they huh? watched Schmageddon, which was the show that kind of automatically came up on Apple TV Plus or whatever it's oh, called. Oh, Schmigadoon, Schmigadoon. Schmigadoon, yeah. Sorry, it's Schmigadoon, which is this kind of, it's, it's a kind of a, a dumb musical spoof. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious, by the way. Oh, it's, oh it's very funny. Uh, but, uh, and they said, oh, this is great. Let's watch the next, let's watch the next episode of that. And I said, oh, no, no, no. Only the first episode is available. And they said, what? what is it with the?" I said, yeah, this is the way TV used to be for like 75 years. Okay. So, and now well, it's going I, back Netflix, to that. Netflix has a great gimmick of dropping an entire season all at once. That works for them. Everybody else said, we're not that big right now. And there's a benefit to having people come back every week. There's a benefit to news stories or ratings or building an audience anticipation. A lot of shows are more enjoyable if you put a few hours or days between every episode rather than watching five at once. You may do it just like you might eat an entire you know, box of Oreo cookies. You're not going to feel so great later. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's a good strategy. It works well for most people. There may be some things like a mini series or documentary where you want to drop all five parts all at once, you know, everything's different, but by and large, yes, now you have to subscribe to Apple TV for the next two and a half months because you want to watch Ted Lasso. That's how people, that's how HBO kept people watching, paying for HBO. They had Arliss on. Nobody, the people who cared about Arliss subscribed to HBO 
all year long just so they could watch our list when it popped up. So you're saying there are certain business models and distribution models that just work. And maybe that's the best way to to maximize revenue with with for your content with those models. And I, and I agree with you. Box office is in that mix. The 90-day window is dead, but we have a strong numbers-driven belief that 45-day window is a really good idea. It's consistent. It's clear. It gets people in a certain rhythm. They know, okay, I can't expect to see something the first day it comes out in a theater, but a big movie, I know eventually it'll be out. But if I want to see it twice, maybe it's worth my time and so on. Certainly, I went to the drive-in this weekend. I have Disney Plus. I have access to Black Widow on Disney Plus, but I wanted to see F9 in a theater. Uh, it wasn't available uh, on premium video on demand, and I would never pay 20 bucks to watch it in my home. But there it was, a drive-in double bill, Black Widow and Fast and Furious 9. And I said, okay, I could sit at home and watch Black Widow, but I'd rather see it in a big screen. And I want to see F9, and that's not available yet. I'm not going to pay 20 bucks to see that at home. So right. it was perfect. I had a good time. I went out. I bought some concession stuff. I watched two movies on the big screen. I thought Black Widow was pretty fun. I thought F9 was absurd, insane, ridiculous. But <laughs> as our in-house film critic Aaron Rich said, of course it's ridiculous. It's supposed to be ridiculous. He thinks it's one of the best films of the year. I can't go that far, but I did laugh my ass off and have a lot of fun. You know, I, I saw a bunch of movies uh, this weekend as well. Uh, I don't know wh whether I should mention them here or after we talk about old. And you'll see why, because after we talk about old, old has this kind of like supernatural twist. And all of the movies I saw this weekend all had supernatural twists. Cocoon. All had no, no, no. All these right. were well, new, well, movies, tell us, new movies. Tell us what else we're going to talk about this week on Showbiz Sandbox. Well, we've got box office, but it's kind of a mixed bag. China is open for business, but only for Chinese films. Dwayne Johnson, take your jungle cruise elsewhere. You're not going to be able to take it in China. Plus, everyone is desperate to open up, but COVID is forcing film and TV productions to shut back down all over the world. In social justice news, Harvey Weinstein, he took a trip. That's right. He took a trip. And Chinese-Canadian rapper Chris Wu had one weird, awful week. But let's wait a minute before deciding if he's to blame or the victim here. In streaming news, the major media conglomerates are calling for Nielsen to be decertified. They don't trust its numbers, and they're out of Patience. They're not even doctors dum, and they're dum, out of patience. Dum, 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 now on Inside Baseball, we are all in on the Olympics. The thrill of victory, the agony of defeat, the torture of figuring out what sport is playing on what channel and when. Happily, it's uh, easier than ever to watch what you want, when you want. Yes, that's right. Yes, just like movies and music and TV at the Olympics, streaming is front and center. We'll dive in. See what I did there? Oh. See, I'll dive in because diving oh, it's a sport. See, it's You're a right. dive. How did you do that? How did you narrate that and create the background music at the same time? That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty. It's you should. Uh, yeah, it's it's technology actually. Uh, of oh. course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz. You're going to fill us in on last week's box office. That's right, and we're looking at box office around the world. We got a link to ComScore in our show notes. We pulled information from everywhere else. And the number one film around the world is Black Widow. It made another $51 million this week. It's at $315 million worldwide. 30 days after it opens up, it will be available on premium video on demand. Uh, that would be August 10th. 
So you mean, about no, a no, month. you mean premium video on demand or video on demand? Right no. now, it's pre- oh, premium oh, video oh. on demand. Via oh. Disney, I'm sorry, you're right. Regular video on demand. They're moving it up early, and 30 days after it opens, it will be available to rent online. Why did they decide to do that? Second weekend, the biggest drop for a Marvel film ever. The third weekend, another really big drop. One of the worst drops for a Marvel film ever. And these are movies that litter the top 20, top 50 in terms of all-time grossing movies. So it had a 50% drop this weekend worldwide. Uh, It's still making $51 million. And they're already saying, no, we better get this on video on demand quick to maximize our profits. Did they do the best job? Hey, it's COVID. But that day and date, Disney Plus premium video on demand thing, and then rushing it on into regular video on demand, you have to believe this movie would make a lot more than, you know, four or five hundred million, you know, seven, eight hundred million dollars. We don't think they are making the money they would have made otherwise. And how are they doing on premium video on demand after that first weekend? Crickets, not a word. Yeah, I was going to say, do you know? Do you know? Tell me. If they had good news to share, they would have shared it. That's the number one film around the world. It's Black Widow with $51 million. And number two is Chinese Doctors, uh, $40 million this week. That's at $175 million worldwide. And number three is Space Jam, A New Legacy, $39 million this week. That's about to pass the $100 million mark. That, too, is available right now on HBO Max. And number four is White Snake 2. The Tribulation of Green Snake. <laughs> this is a Chinese animated fantasy. It's the sequel to White Snake. It's called, for short, Green Snake. It involves mythology and all this stuff. It probably had a modest budget. The original cost about $11 million to make. This one opened to $30 million. So a good opening for White Snake 2, The Tribulation of Green Snake. At number five is F9, Fast and Furious 9, the movie I saw this weekend. It was crazy watching John Cena and Vin Diesel try to emote with each other as brothers who are, you know, at loggerheads. I, I enjoyed it very much. Vin Diesel at one point says, I showed you mercy. <laughs> That's his big acting. I showed you mercy. <laughs> he just <laughs> explodes. The whole movie, he barely it moves an eyebrow and suddenly he, exp- I showed you mercy. <laughs> but uh, I loved it. <laughs> it was 30 million bucks it made this week. It passed the $600 million mark. It's now at $621 million. And right now, as of today, when we're recording on Monday, July 26th, it's available to watch on premium video on demand for $20. So there you go. It made about $28 million in North America, by the way, last week. $28 million in North America alone. And they are rushing it out onto premium video on demand today. You just made $28 million this week. Don't you feel like they pulled the trigger too soon? They could put it on premium video on demand, but wouldn't you have waited another two weekends? I know I would have. Well, you might have if you didn't own Comcast and make the film. And so I, basically- no, I want to make the most money. I am Comcast. I own the movie and I want to make the most money possible and make sure i have a healthy ecosystem that will be there for the next 20 movies i want to release over the next 20 years so no i think as comcast i would say i'm not maximizing my potential like you i think they're making a mistake they're taking those short-term dollars oh look it comes directly to me and then realizing they've cut out the legs from under the box office at the theater and they're not making as much perhaps on video on demand as they would have otherwise i don't think it's all adding up to the same piece of pie that they got with the last, you know, Fast and Furious movie. I really don't. But we'll have to see how it plays out. Will they adjust down the road? I'm sure they will. Right below that, at number six, is Old, the M. Night Shyamalan film. It 
was the number one movie at the box office in North America. That's a great track record from Shyamalan, but not nearly as high as others were. Uh, it made $23 million worldwide, which is more than its extremely modest $18 million budget. You got Gael Garcia Bernal and M. Night Shyamalan, an $18 million budget? I- I'm putting a big asterisk by that. They got to have some serious back end going on to keep the budget reportedly down to $18 million, don't you think? Uh, maybe not, not really. No, uh, not Gar- Gael Shyamalan? Garcia Bernal. Shyamalan yeah, but, probably but, does because he wrote, directed, produced. So he's probably got, you know, that going for him. But, uh, but Bernal is a worldwide star. You don't think he's getting at least five, eight million dollars to make a movie? Yeah. Five million? That means the rest of the budget was only 13 million, including your writer, director, M. Night Shyamalan. No, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's making a million or, you know, 1.5 a million. Or two, two million. Yeah. You think you can get Gael for a million dollars? Yeah. As the lead of a film? As the lead of a film? It depends. It depends on how long the shoot is. And, you know, it, it really depends. You're such a Hollywood person. Don't you value Gael? Well, I have not seen the film. It got pretty poor reviews, uh, as many of his films do these days. But what did you think? I didn't see the movie. Uh, ah, I did you not saw I, old adjacent movies. Yeah, well, not not old. They're, they weren't old. So uh, here's what I saw, and the, you'll see. So old has a bunch of like supernatural stuff, kind of twists going on, right? So it's a horror I guess, film, yes, yeah, yeah, with crazy so, stuff going on. I'll start uh, with Hereafter, which is I'm not giving anything away. Uh, this is a movie where the guy is dead. The main character is dead uh, from the very beginning of the film, and Christina Ricci plays uh kind of a a, a mentor well, uh okay and, and oh. he has to find love in the afterlife otherwise he can't go through to is this a uh, new movie coming out is this something it's on demand movie. why why would i what it's in your home demand you watch it in your home yes i did watch it okay. in, in my home okay uh, that one not so great love type d was it it's finally after a a nice uh run in film festivals is hitting theaters and, of course, uh, actually now I think it's available on demand. But uh, so I, I was given this film to watch. This is a a a lovely little film, and it's about a girl who, basically, after being broken up with time and time and time and time again, she discovers that she might have the loser gene, the breakup gene. <laughs> so she has to go back and to reverse it, has to date. All of the people that have broken up with her and then dump them. That's the way she's going to reverse this. All and right. she's being guided in this this by an 11-year-old kid who is the brother. It, it, it's, it's very lovely. And Maeve Dermody, she needs more work. Let's put it right. that way. But finally, this is the one I think you're really going to like. How is that like, even like, remotely like old? It has nothing to do with well, old. The supernatural like twist. Yeah, I guess that's, that, that wasn't really supernatural because uh-huh. – it was really man-made that that last one. This uh-huh. this next one though is a bit supernatural because it's called Mandibles. Have you heard about this film? You must have heard about no, this. No, I haven't heard of none of those films. <laughs> what about Quentin Depew? You must have heard about Quentin Depew. Rubber, deerskin. He's a French filmmaker, and he uh, he does these kind of quirky films. This is a comedy. It is a lot of fun. It's worth seeing. It's in theaters now. Uh, about this one is these two losers. They, they're like really just as dumb as the day is long. Uh, they uh, go out on this quest. You think it's a drug drop. It's not a, well, I won't tell you what it is, but they steal a car to do this. In the trunk of the car is a giant fly. 
Okay. This fly is the size of like, I don't know, like a, a, a St. Bernard. It's huge. It's a huge fly. And just the hijinks ensue. It's hilarious. Uh, let's put it this way. This is by the guy who made a movie about a tire that terrorizes a town. Okay. Yeah. A, a right. deerskin about a guy who puts on a deerskin jacket and, you know, becomes basically a serial killer. It's, he is quirky. It is fun. It's worth seeing. All right. Well, some movie recommendations from Sperling. Uh, that brings us back to our charts. Old made about $23 million. Right below that is Snake Eyes. Those two movies were head-to-head here in North America, and they opened up in a number of territories, though not the same number. Snake Eyes, of course, stars Henry Golding. It's in the G.I. Joe universe, if we can say such a silly thing. It grossed $17 million on its opening week. A lot of head-scratching in North America. Why didn't these movies do better? Why didn't they click? Is it the pandemic? Is it, uh, is it uh, the Olympics? Is it... Uh, the reviews, and the answer is yes. Yes, all of them. Yes, exactly. Like, they weren't very good. They didn't get very good reviews. There's a lot of other stuff going on. People are still worried about going back to the cinemas. So, yeah, of course. The Boss Baby Family Business, that made another $13 million worldwide. That's at $61 million and counting. Escape Room Tournament of Champions made another $11 million. It's going to triple its budget, so that's a, a big winner. The Forever Purge, it's done that as well. That made another $9 million. It's at about $60 million and counting. Here's another new film. The Day We Lit Up the Sky, a Chinese high school dancing movie. Uh, what, what did, didn't I talk about this last week? Yes, no? you did. You said there was dancing, and when there wasn't dancing, there was more dancing. And then, then there was more dancing beyond that. And yes, yeah. I'm not sure uh, what its total is, so I'm a little confused on that one. Um, I think I misplaced that. I think it dropped off the charts, and I, was, I think I accidentally taped that in, so ignore that. But if you know about that movie, you know what it grossed this week and what its running total is, tell us. Yes, you can write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. And, you know, we do play uh, messages at the end of the show uh, when when we get them. Uh, and you know what? You can also follow us on Twitter at showbizsandbox is our handle or like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox. Let us know what you thought. If you, if you saw Mandibles, let us know what you thought. <laughs> uh, two movies are about to pass the $200 million mark. The Crudes, A New Age. That's at $197 million. And The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. That's at $194 million. There's a couple other movies on this chart. One of them is new. It's Agent Bernard, King's Bear, which I think is kind of like a play on the, uh, oh, hell, the Kingsman series. The oh, Kingsman okay. rather than King's Bear. Um, this is a animated film spun off from a TV series. It's a Spanish-Korean-French co-production, but it seems to be essentially Korean, I think. Or no, maybe it's essentially Spanish, I think. The creative's involved. There's no words, basically. It's a, it's a bear, and he just goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's really, I watched some of the TV episodes online. It was like, you know, he just, so it can travel all over the globe. It's a silent comedy, basically. It made $4 million, so it didn't really tear it up, but it sent me to the TV show and went, wow, you have to be really little to enjoy this little cartoon. And Anthony Bourdain's doc, Roadrunner, that's at about $4 million. And Pig, Nick Cage's film, that doubled its take. It went from $1 million to $2 million. So they're just bopping along. French cinema, not doing so well. It dropped 70% because the French government is requiring a vaccination passport 
want to go to the movies or a restaurant or a lot of other things, you must show proof of vaccination. Some people foolishly are angry about that and protesting and yelling and screaming. Uh, and it is hurting the box office. You need to get a vaccination. Eric Clapton said he won't play a venue unless unless he can. Uh, uh, in, if they require a vaccination, he won't play there. Garth Brooks is out on tour and said, come on, people, get back in the game. It's like, dude. Not necessarily the best idea to gather big crowds together. Comic-Con is taking place, but you must prove vaccination to attend. Disney, they have stuff there, but they're not showing up in person. No celebrities, no talent, no execs, nobody from Disney is actually going to Comic-Con. They're all taking part virtually. And that brings us to the UK. Probably the big news of the week, if we're thinking about what's going to happen going forward, the film The Green Knight, starring Dev Patel, is set to open on August 6th, and at the last minute, the studio has yanked the film from the screens. They said, nope, COVID, not looking good here in the UK. We're worried it's going to ship back down. We don't want to open up this movie this week. Now, we just had a big premiere for Jungle Cruise, even though it has no Chinese release date. Broadway is reopening at a big expense. Garth Brooks is on tour. Eric Lavin is made. Sean Penn won't get on a movie set unless everyone is vaccinated. So everybody's yelling and screaming, but I feel like they've opened up too soon. I feel like this is, you know, we feel like we want it to be over. We want to move on, but this is not, this is not over yet. And in fact, the studios have made a deal with the unions and they can now require full vaccinations from union members. People coming on a movie set, they can have mandatory vaccinations. This is only a short-term deal. And they'll revisit this again in three months or six months or five months, whatever the term of limits is. But yes, the unions have recognized that in the short term, if you want to have a set open, you're going to have to allow studios and people to do what will keep everybody safe and allow them to keep filming. In the UK, the, eight, the Hall Reporter says the Delta variant is causing havoc. That's a quote, havoc. COVID advisors are on the sets of films and TV shows, but they're basically new people, a new role without a lot of power, and people can just ignore them. And thus, thus, the film of the musical Matilda, that has shut down. TV shows Bridgerton, Gangs of London, the Game of Thrones prequel House of Dragon, they have also shut down. In the U.S., any number of shows are shutting down, including Westworld. They need to take a pause. And this is creating a lot of problems. Apple TV's The Morning Show, they had to pause when they were filming season two, and now they're suing their insurer because they're saying they deserve $44 million, and the insurer is saying, no, you don't. This is what's going on with COVID. Have we opened up too soon? Is this just going to get worse, Sperling? We want it to get better. I think it's going to get worse uh, for, you know, for the U.S. I think uh, we're not headed in the right direction. I think the U.K., they might already be past their, their fourth wave. France, I think, is going to get worse before it gets better. Having just been there, I can tell you nobody is taking any precautions, especially when they're outside. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I think in, in certain parts of Europe, it will get worse. Now, will it be as bad as it was in in January of last year? No. But then again, we have this fall to look forward to. <laughs> it may be more isolated in certain regions rather than the entire country going down. If you've got herd immunity in Paris, you may be in better shape there, especially if you have herd immunity and combine it with some mask wearing and things like that and a little more social distancing. But it's, 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 it's scary because it's going to really disrupt business. You know, it costs a lot of money to gear back up for Broadway. Then if you have to shut down again a few weeks later, that's crazy. Cinderella just shut down in the West End. He now says he'll be opening up in mid to late August. So he, it's he only a three-week delay. Andrew, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Webber who also yeah. says... If I don't get help from the government, 
I may have to sell off the multiple theaters I own in the UK. He owns multiple West End venues. He's one of the wealthiest people in the world. And he's saying, I'm not going to hold on to these theaters, you know, and dig out money, pile money out of my pocket endlessly. I'm at the point where I will have to sell them because I'm not willing to, you know, fork over another hundred million or however much money it would be need to be to keep them going amidst a pandemic. That's where he's at. So that's kind of scary. Well, speaking of movie theaters, uh, or well, that was legit theaters, but um, movie theater wise, there's some news. Oh, that's right. Who bought what? Nobody bought anything, actually. Yes, AMC, AMC didn't, has. Didn't they buy it? They yeah. took over the lease. No, they're okay. taking over the lease. They reached long term lease agreements because Caruso, Rick Caruso, a big uh, real estate developer here on the West Coast and in the US, he owns the Grove in Los Angeles and the Americana at Branding Glendale right next to Los Angeles. These are two of the the biggest theaters in Los Angeles. In the world, in the country. Yeah, they're two of the biggest, uh, highest grossing theaters in the nation. And uh, now AMC uh, kind of almost like willed their way into running these uh, facilities. They kept saying, no, we're we're in we're in negotiations. We're talking to Caruso about taking over those those leases from Pacific theaters. And everybody said, are you really doing that? Because Caruso hasn't confirmed that. And I think they just said it long enough that it became true. (laughs) He's like, all right, all right, fine. Now, Netflix, did they lease the Egyptian or did they actually own the Egyptian? No, I think they bought the Egyptian. Oh, okay, so they actually bought the Egyptian. So yeah. uh, you know, it's uh, it's good to know people still see a long term value. Yeah, right. Well, in, we know why they're doing stuff. it. They're doing it because then they can actually just put their movies in a movie theater in Los Angeles and say, "Hey, we're we're ready for awards," and and tell and tell people to uh, you know leave us alone. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you exactly. Know, Scorsese, well, we can put it in a theater. Trust us, we own a theater. <laughs> yeah, one theater, two if you count the one in New York. Well, breaking news, people love franchises. Universal shelled out $400 million for a new Exorcist trilogy. We're planning to show some of them on Peacock, and they've got David Gordon Green, the filmmaker behind Halloween, who has made some great small art house movies, but suddenly he's a horror guy, and he's going to be overseeing it with Ellen Burstyn reprising her role. <laughs> Is that you can really, I mean, $400 million to do the three movies on on Peacock? Seems like a lot of money. Yeah, well... Yeah, every it's, it's you a, get a show and you get a show and you get it's a, a it's a pre it's a pre sold uh, property I guess, uh, but some people can't be sold for you couldn't sell them for a dime and that would be Harvey Weinstein. Uh, in social justice news, he has been extradited to L.A. to face charges and in court. To be fair, he pled not guilty, or in order to be more specific, he pled not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. Seven times he had to plead not guilty. So he has faced seven counts, including uh, five women over a decade of sexual assault and abuse. So uh, that's Harvey Weinstein. But in a crazy story, crazy. Did you read about this Chinese-Canadian rapper personality called Chris Wu? He's one of the biggest stars in China, a huge guy who has got endorsements at the Wazoo and a successful rapping career and a TV personality. I'd never heard of him before. I assume you hadn't either. No, I have no idea who you're talking about. Yeah, he's a big, big star in China. And within the last week, A 19-year-old woman said that when she was 17, he invited her to his home for an audition, gave her alcohol until she blacked out and raped her. Then she says he paid me off, but now I'm returning the money and I want to come forward. And then a day or two later, she said, and you know what? There's there's like six or seven other women, young girls that I know about that he did the same thing to. And you know what? And just one accusation after another came out. Everybody, almost every outlet or media advertising company dropped him immediately. 
before the police had done anything. But, you know, he said she's lying. I completely refuted all completely. And then the police got involved. And within three days, they said, oh, no, he's fine. She's lying. She did this to promote her online personality. She's working with this other guy. And you're like, and then fans are saying, well, that was awfully quick to decide none of it was true that quickly. So they're angry about that. This woman is in league with this other guy who's a clear con artist, according to the cops. This third party person ended up writing some of her posts online for her. This person pretended to be her when speaking to Wu, pretended to be Wu's lawyer when speaking to her online, and also, what was the third? Oh, also pretended to be a, a quote unquote victim of his when reaching out to Wu. Her, another person, and a lawyer <laughs> trying to get money from both sides. So this is a bizarre, crazy thing. The police sure seemed to act quickly. There was money paid to her, but the mother, uh, mother of Wu said she was blackmailing us. We just we paid her, which we shouldn't have done, but she's lying. She hasn't paid it back. So this is just like, it's ready to be a movie. And it does let you know, we're talking basically about one person. You know, don't jump the gun. It's perfectly appropriate to say, hey, we take this seriously. We're pausing our ad sales, but, you know, we're waiting to see what's going on. Rather than say we've dropped him, you know, after one person comes forward, that's not really fair. Let there be an investigation. Let there be more than one. You know, if you have 20 people coming forward, you know you have a real problem. But this was one person making all sorts of accusations. I'm not saying nothing happened because there hasn't been an, a clear investigation other than the cops in two minutes saying, oh, everything's fine. But, you know, I feel like in the U.S. too, some places jump the gun too quickly. Rather than saying, I never want to see you again, say, well, we take it seriously. Let's let the process play out and see what happens. So this guy might have been the victim of a scam artist. So, And by the way, this craziest thing I learned, in China, the age of consent, 14. Wow, really? 14. That's what an article said in, in, in Variety or the Hollywood Reporter, wherever I read it. 14? Really? Wow. That's pretty young. You might want to bump that up, people. Wow, 14, that's a little young. Yes, I agree. But now, speaking of numbers, I know you have a whole bunch of numbers from Nielsen to tell us about with streaming and not, not, to, not to kind of you know, equate one with the other, but I no, happen no, no. to see here in our show notes that you have the, this report on uh, everybody wanting to drop Nielsen because they say, we don't know where they're getting their numbers from. They're making these up. That's right. The, the major networks have gone forward to the Media Rating Council, and they're calling on this group to decertify Nielsen because they say its methods are opaque. It has failed on numerous levels to maintain accurate measurements of audiences during COVID and otherwise. They're like, they're not capturing eyeballs on phones or tablets. You're doing a terrible job. Your numbers are losing, causing us money loss. And so the MRC, which I had never heard of really, the Media Rating Council, it was formed during the quiz show scandals back in the 50s and is an independent body. It's not a government regulatory body. It has no particular authority other than the fact that people listen to it and accept it. Nielsen could still do business if it's decertified. It wouldn't stop, but its data would be under a cloud if it wasn't accredited by the Media Rating Council. They're playing hardball with Nielsen. They're saying, you got to get your act together and be more forthcoming with us about what you're doing to try and capture the audience that we believe is still out there. God knows it ain't easy if you're watching the Olympics. How are you going to track all those eyeballs? Who's watching on demand on YouTube TV or their DVR? Who's watching streaming on their phone? Who's watching on regular cable? Or you know, it's It's got to be a pain in the neck. But we know they're facing pressure from streamers 
who laugh all the way to the bank because they don't have to share any numbers, do they? But they are sharing one number, which is subscribers. In the second quarter, Netflix lost 430,000 subscribers. Lost, which may make you go, what? Well, yes, it's the second quarter. That's where they often have a loss. Last In 2019, they lost 100,000 subscribers. This is a lot more than that. It's four times as big. But remember, they also gained a ton of people during the pandemic. Worldwide, Netflix has 210 million subscribers. They're so doing they added, just fine. They, they, they added 1.5 million subscribers worldwide. So they Worldwide, lost. right. They lost a few in the U.S. They had some churn, I think is the best way to put it, given how many they probably added in 2020 when people were signing up for everything. They lost some of those. Those people paid for it for a year and then stepped away. But they probably have more in the U.S. than they did in 2019. And worldwide, they certainly added people. When you have 210 million subscribers, you're not going to add that many more, are you? They also plan to you spend know, if 12... They just put episodes on one week at a time. <laughs> I'm just they saying... 12... They're spending $12 billion in a content spend for 2021. They don't. They say they're not looking to gobble up any other companies right now, and they're launching gaming. It's down the road. They haven't done it yet, but they want to focus on gaming as a free add-on for subscribers. They think they can become a player Mostly in mobile, mobile, game. mobile yeah, games. So yeah. people have Netflix on their phone and their tablets, and they say, hey, if we can keep you on your phone and tablet with some games using Netflix, you'll be happier about it. You know, in 2019, Netflix said it competes with and loses to Fortnite more than it does to HBO. So now they're stepping up to the plate and saying, we want some gaming, too. They also launched a store for merchandise. So I guess you can buy your Stranger Things T-shirt right at the Netflix website. And HBO Max, they put out some numbers, too. Twitter and a bunch of other people did, too. So before you yell and scream that Netflix is collapsing and HBO Max is going to crush them, HBO Max had 67.5 million subscribers worldwide is it subscribers or activations because they they track things in a very odd way well well i'm i'm combining hbo and hbo max i'm not bothering with their corporate voodoo of what they consider hbo versus hbo max i believe 67.5 million people worldwide are paying for either hbo or hbo max that doesn't mean everyone who has hbo and could activate hbo max has done so but that's that's the number they gave, and that's the number we have. And no matter how you slice it, there's still a third of where Netflix is right now. So they got well, a lot well, of know, catching up to do. And Netflix said that they compete with Fortnite, but they've also, you know, I think it was uh, Ted Sarandos who said, uh, the only thing we're competing with is sleep. So <laughs> uh, I don't really, you know. I'm who, still fond of they? sleeping. Yeah. Uh, I and, guess, and if you, you think know. people. Say, all right, they've all got their own streaming service. They don't want to give anything to Netflix. They're screwed. They're, you know, a lot of their stuff is still licensed. How are they going to make money when, you know, Grey's Anatomy never comes back to Netflix? There's a reason people sell it to Netflix and lease TV shows to them. One, it makes them a lot of money. And two, you can have a property and that, that, publicity that promotional push that you get when you go on netflix it's just like when law and order went into syndication suddenly a lot more people started watching law and order and the new episodes you did became really popular that's when it bumped into the top 10 for good thanks to the it grew in its sixth or seventh season because it was hitting syndication and when you look at the streaming numbers this week we combined them all and the nbc series manifest canceled after two seasons but it went on to netflix Netflix gave it a push. It was number one last week with over 2 billion minutes watched. It's number one again this week with 2 billion minutes watched. And suddenly, both Netflix and uh, uh, some other services are saying, mm, maybe we should do a third season. There's competition to get, 
to create a third season of Manifest, a show that was canceled about two minutes ago. So, you know, that Netflix platform is pop is popular and works for everybody in a lot of different ways. It's not just, you know, oh, hey, that's nice. You sold it off to Netflix. I would rather keep it myself. Guess what? Getting 200 million people to have access to it, that can be really powerful. Hey, yeah, one could say it's almost a big deal. That's right. Because it is time for Big Deal or Big Whoop, our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Here's our first story. Hey, Michael, like, here's my question. What are you listening to right now? Not me, but like music-wise, what are you listening to? Oh, I'm listening to you and your album of Calypso music, and I love it. But beyond that, some of my favorite new albums of the year are this British band, The Coral, with Coral Island. This uh, uh, this rapper turned uh, singer, C. Tangana, who I'd never heard of, but his new album, El Madoleño, that's really good. Miranda Lambert, John Mayer, I love all this stuff. There's a lot of good music out there. Yeah, but, but, but what are you actually listening to? Like, what are you actually listening to? Well, actually, if I look at Spotify and see what was I just listening to this morning, it was, in fact, Madness, a 1980 album from the band Madness. And when I look back, a majority of the music I'm listening to, I do listen to new music, but I'm also, I would listen to Donovan. I listened to Jorge Ben. There was this Tropicalia compilation I listened to, a Burl Lives album, Towns Van Zandt. You know, I found I stumbled on some lists of like the best albums of the 60s and the best Brazilian albums of all time. And that got me diving into all that stuff. Well, exactly. And in fact, you're not alone, Michael. According to MRC Data, there's MRC again, a company uh, which purchased Nielsen Music and works with Billboard and others for the music industry, there were 555.3 billion streams of music on audio and video platforms in the United States in the first six months of 2021. Half a trillion. Half a trillion and 66% of it was catalog music. That's anything at least 18 months old. 18 months or older is catalog music when the consumer buys or streams the music. In other words, two thirds of all music being streamed in the US was catalog music. Not the latest single by Justin Bieber, but maybe the Beatles, especially after the new documentary on Hulu or Bismarck Key after news of his death. Uh, or Led Zeppelin, because, you know, they're all pretty much always cool. Or the Rhythmics or an old Taylor Swift album. Although, an old Taylor Swift album that hasn't been redone. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. One. Uh, big deal or big whoop? I think it's a huge deal. I really do. We've seen this for a while. It's really pushing catalog music. I do it all the time. You have the access to every album ever made. I'm listening to Tom Petty's discography and Joni Mitchell's discography. Now I'm looking at Madness and going through those 60s, best albums of the 60s list and picking up on stuff I missed up on or, you know, Brazilian music. It's so easy to explore all this music. You don't have to pay $15 for a CD. You just click. And I so, remember yeah. the days when Michael Giltz was like, I like owning my music. I'm never going to, I'm never doing Spotify or Apple. That's it. I'm, I'm a CD boy forever. I do. I still have a couple thousand CDs. I have some vinyl LPs and I hate not owning music and I hate not being wealthy enough to say, I'm just going to buy these new albums that I love so I can put the John Mayer album up on my shelf as one of the best of the year. I, don't, I love that I don't have to listen. I can listen to stuff without paying for it, but I'd love to be able to own it and put it on the shelf when that electromagnetic pulse comes and erases all our hard drives. I could laugh at you because I still have my CD. But yeah, you know, I, I, I have gone beyond that 
that I pushed through that barrier. I love listening to music. I love the access. And if you want to know why music publishing has seen so many seven or eight or nine figure deals for songs by Fleetwood Mac and the like, well, now you know. People are listening to Fleetwood Mac. They're listening to Willie Nelson. They're listening to all this stuff. And there's so much more music available now, and it's easier than ever to check out. And thanks to Music Business Worldwide, they had an article cluing me into this uh, little stat. And uh, as a side note, talking about music and buying vinyl, indie artists and labels are giving up on vinyl. Why? Because it's, it's too, too popular. popular. Yeah, it's too po- way too popular. How, where are they going to get all that vinyl? Well, they can't because there's only a few vinyl, you know, there's only a few companies left that do it, that manufacture vinyl and can master it for them. So vinyl sales will hit $1 billion this year, but capacity is so limited, the really small guys are facing interminable delays. So it's like cassettes, baby. We're going to turn to cassettes. (laughs) Yeah, there's something nobody has, a cassette player. They do. That cassettes are hip again, just like vinyl used to be. It's 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 a fringe little thing, but they do it. Well, speaking of music and great catalog titles, you should check out the Kennedy Center has announced its 2021 honorees, and most, they come from music, catalog titles. Except for producer Lauren Michaels of Saturday Night Live, he's on the list because, you know, apparently winning 274 Emmys, that's not enough for this guy. He's got to get one more award. But you'll also find opera singer Justino Diaz, record producer and Motown founder Barry Gordy, Bette Midler, and Joni Mitchell. Big deal or big whoop? Uh, Joni Mitchell is the greatest artist of all time. She's a huge, huge artist. So that's awesome to see. I'm glad she's around to enjoy it all. Uh, Justino Diaz was the first Puerto Rican to become a worldwide superstar in the opera world. There's certainly lots of music you can check out from him. Uh, Barry Gordy and Motown. Endless great Motown albums, though. You know what? On Compact Disc, they had a great line of greatest hits called the Compact Command Performances. You'd have like 20 hits from the Supremes, 16 hits from the Temptations because they were longer. So, you know, 17 hits from the four and all that sort of stuff. They were really well chosen greatest hit sets that were concise and to the point and had all the big hits. And sometimes nowadays you have two or three CD anthologies, which are like, you know, a collection of everything. And you're like, that's not really the best way to enjoy an artist. It's not always great to say, hey, Alexa, stream the Supremes. You know Congratulations, great- you just you just turned on like everybody's devices. That's <laughs> so just great. When you're looking at Barry Gordy, I'll make a list of uh, like the Supremes Compact Command performances. I'll make a playlist on Spotify. Follow me there and you can just check out that great, you know, 20 songs of the Supremes that you really want to hear and know and love. That's a great way to celebrate her. Bette Midler, movie, theater, music recording. But really, she's about her TV and, and, and film and stage work. And then Joni Mitchell. If it's from the 70s, you can't go wrong. Blue, For the Roses, Ladies of the Canyon, Court and Spark, you know, it's all great. Well, you know what? It's time for Big Deal or Big Whoop to end and for us to move into Inside Baseball. Inside Baseball is where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and more importantly, how they affect you. Now, most importantly, did you realize like halfway through that sentence that I actually was going to try and make a cringy segue and then was like, (laughs) maybe I won't do that. And so (laughs) when you point out the segue, it works so much better. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, during uh, Inside Baseball this week, we're going to be talking about the Olympics. Dum, about dum, uh, dum, yeah, dum. how do you do that? How do you do that? It's pretty remarkable, dum, isn't it? Dum, it's dum, it's, dum, it's dum, almost dum, like I'm uh, who's who's that uh, Bobby McFerrin where I can like make all these sounds. Dum, and... dum, 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 dum. Okay, so what oh, do you want to tell us about the Olympics? Well, it's ha- it's got it all: swimming, diving, gymnastics, 
badminton. But that's not what we're talking about. We mean it has everything. Showbiz, politics, social justice, and of course, streaming is front and center at the Olympics, just like it is everywhere else in the entertainment biz these days. But first, a correction. Last week, I said aerodrome when talking about, you know, guys on bikes, and I meant to say velodrome. And also, I, you know, it, when you said that, I was like, do I correct him? Or yes, I was like, eh. of course. it was so fast. Nobody will ever notice. Well, I noticed. And cardboard mattresses. There were lots of funny stories about the cardboard mattresses in the in the Olympic Village. And, oh, you can't have sex. They don't want you to have sex because it'll spread COVID. So they made these cardboard. No. Turns out they were cardboard mattresses so they could be recycled. That was done long before they had to worry about COVID. Uh, though, actually, because they were actually supposed to be the games a year earlier, they'd planned for this all along. They didn't want to create a bunch of stuff that had to be thrown away into a garbage dump. So they came up with very durable cardboard mattresses. Thus, it wasn't really preventing any hanky panky, but be safe. And so they're there, they're being used, they provide good support, and then they can be recycled. So good for them. So I'm, I'm happy to correct those two things. But are you watching the Olympics, Sperling? You know, I am watching, uh, like, when I, w- I went to the gym and was on the treadmill and I was watching one, uh, I don't even know what it was, like, canoeing of some kind. And uh-huh. I thought, how is this a sport? It's like, yes, it of does look it's a dif- sport. It looks difficult, but it also looks like you made it purposefully difficult. Like, it's, <laughs> it's like... Have like you seen a triathlon? Some sports make things very difficult. Uh, like, you're in a kayak, and you have to go down this, like, man-made water chute where you have to, like, go through slaloming through these, like, little gates, and you're like... I just kept thinking, like, so who thought this was a sport? <laughs> this is something you do on a river for fun, not like, hey, let's see how fast I can shoot down this. I mean, I know I'm kidding around, but still. Yes, because you're wrong. Crew is a long, vaunted tradition. No, no, Apparently, no, no, not never crew. Went. Well, not there's crew. all types of, well, you said, well, they're on a river or on the water. Well, so what? It's a no, sport. like in a pool. It's like a Anything man-made... can be a sport. Anything can uh... be a sport. Anything. Did you watch the opening ceremony? I watched part of it. It was kind of boring. I, I find those things always like incredibly boring. Except for China. They China may, was may, good. Yeah. They may be a totalitarian state. They may have forced people to spend three years practicing, but by God, that was a good opening ceremony. Yeah, that and the Nuremberg rallies went really well. No, it, that was a <laughs> stunning, stunning opening ceremony. This one's gotten very poor reviews and the numbers aren't great. Maybe. The numbers are 17 million people watched the opening ceremonies, but I don't think they know that because. I've still got the opening ceremony on my DVR. I could watch that at any time. If they'd gotten good reviews, I might have. I might still fast forward through it. But tracking down these numbers ain't going to be easy. But given the time difference of where they are in Japan and given the time difference here in North America, we would assume the North American numbers would be down. It's just not a good year for the Olympics. It's 12, 14 hours ahead. You had to get up at 7 in the morning if you wanted to watch the opening ceremony live. And so the Hollywood Reporter had a story by Michael Sipley, a a thought piece. He said, hey, look, the opening ceremony numbers are down. The Super Bowl numbers are down. The Oscars are down. The weekend box office is down. Let me guess, people just want to, yeah, people just want to get out. They want to do something, anything. That's what he said. After a year of pandemic, you know, where is everybody? They're just trying to, they just want to get out. (laughs) They want to go on a picnic, want to go on a walk. Or it may be a long-term trend. There's also that possibility that there's so much atomization that you're just not going to get big numbers anymore. When there's 3,000 TV shows, how are you going to get everyone to watch the Emmys? You know, everybody's not watching the same stuff. Hmm. But streaming, how is that going to work? 
Well, you can pretty much watch anything at any time, whenever you want. That's it's how great. streaming works. It's great. When I, I turned on YouTube TV, which is how I get my, my, my TV, that's my cable subscription. It's an over-the-top service from YouTube TV. When I turned it on one day, right before the Olympics, it popped up and said, hey, you want to you wanna reserve and tape any of these events? I'm like, yes, I do want to tape diving and swimming and gymnastics and uh, wrestling and a couple of the things I knew my mom would like, equestrian. So yeah, I just, oh, okay, click, 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 click. And now those are all there waiting for me whenever I want to watch them. That's pretty cool. They made it super easy. And a lot of people are doing that. But that means we'll be watching it on demand on Peacock or on our YouTube DVR or our cable DVR. And if NBC wants to tout its streaming numbers, like what's happening on Peacock, how are they going to do it? What metric will they use? And can we trust them? They should call us and we will gladly let the world know how many people are watching the Olympics on Peacock. Well, right, at least but, here, but at least here when, in the U.S., I, I would imagine that, when, in other countries, obviously, it's going to be different, different broadcasters. But when all these people don't allow an outside observer to give a factual, nonpartisan take on what's happening and measure it consistently, you know, Netflix has one standard, NBC's Peacock may have another, uh, Hulu may have a third. You know, we. We it's, like the Wild West. it's like yeah, the Wild it's, West. It's and like the Wild West. And if they want to tout their big audience that they're reaching, as they should, and I bet a lot of people will watch it in some form or another, they have to allow Nielsen or somebody to have standardized measurements that we can trust as nonpartisan and third party so you we know can know what the heck happen. is going on. What? You know what's going to happen. You've already said it. There what? will be some big scandal like the quiz show scandal, and uh-huh. then the industry will get behind and start saying, look. You have to do X, Y, or Z. You have to report this. You have to report that. You, you have to do it in a certain way. But right now, it's the Wild West, and everybody's operating on their own without telling anybody else. And that's just the way markets evolve. Something will happen at some point in the future where it will be an industry standard that you have to, to operate in a certain way and report certain figures and facts. Well, but there's no pressure from advertisers when it comes to Peacock or to Netflix because they don't use advertising. So they don't have that pressure of an advertiser saying, hey, I'm not no one's paying for those eyeballs. I I never said I'd know what that what that particular scandal would be. But mark my words, there'll be a scandal. There's always a scandal. Well, one scandal at the Olympics is if a player actually speaks their mind. They hate politics. They've always hated politics, even though the Olympics are supposed to represent this Greek ideal of, you know, a free society and a free world and the free exchange of people and ideas and bring the world together. In fact, the Olympics has a long history of saying, shut up and play. They do not want athletes to express any opinion. Doesn't mean you can keep politics out of it. And this year, it (laughs) didn't even get past the opening ceremony, did it? Well, because, you know, this is what I find interesting. I'm so they showed a, you know, the country of China on a map. Okay. Right, for every but, country, when they came but, up, they said, oh, here's yeah. Australia. They'd show a map with Australia. There's the, the continent, you know. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Uh, China, they said, excuse me, uh, you're missing a little dot off of our eastern uh, shore line called Taiwan. We need <laughs> that country, which is ours. So it's really our country. We need that to be there. What I would say is, hey, China, 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 make like New Zealand. Okay. New Zealand is left off of like 50% of the maps that are produced for the world, like legitimate maps. They'll like make a globe and sell this globe and New Zealand won't even be there. And And and, so there's this like whole campaign of like, you know, reclaiming the New Zealand on the map. It's like one of their like little 
kitschy uh, advertising marketing campaigns. Visit New Zealand. And also, by the way, please put us back on the map. Uh, so, you know, yeah. And, 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 they, and they compete at the Olympics, but they're forced from China's pressure to compete under the Chinese Taipei Olympic flag instead of the flag of the Republic of China, which is what Taiwan would embrace normally. And for the medal ceremony, uh, they have to play the, uh, the national flag anthem of the Republic of China is played instead of the national anthem of the Republic of China. So it's a national flag anthem rather than the national flag. National so it's like they don't get their own flag. They don't get their own, they don't get their own uh, anthem. And China's like, you don't even get your own map. <laughs> no map for you. Uh, COVID's not helping. Certainly the Chinese, the Japanese people did not want the Olympics. We're in the midst of a pandemic, but money and TV is powerful. It's not about the glory of the individual athletes. So the Olympics has continued. We're seeing, I think, a couple hundred cases so far. Hopefully it won't become a really widespread outage, though. A lot of it's going to happen once people return home. Uh, happily, there won't be the fans in attendance. That's a big part of it. But all these athletes will be returning to their home country, all the people involved. So we'll have to see what happens. But the uh, you know the mental health of the athletes is front and foremost. They may have political things to say. They also have things to say about there's a lot of pressure here. Naomi Osaka, the great tennis player, it was great to see her l lighting the Olympic torch. She was the person who got to light the Olympic torch at the end. That was kind of cool to see. Well, yeah, and I know that, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, uh, you know, the host cities and, and whether there should be a, a different host city each year. And, of course, they then, they gave, uh, the, what is it, the Summer Games to uh, Brisbane, Australia for, like, I don't even know when. It's, like, way into the future. But uh, for some host cities, it's really been good, at least for, like, Salt Lake City, they, they now have all of these facilities that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And people come from all over the world to train in Salt Lake City. So they said, look, the original Olympics, yeah, it wasn't really good for us. The, the follow-on effect, because we have all these facilities now, not so bad. That's, like the, the, grotesque except, that's the grotesque exception to the rule. With, with the exception of Barcelona in 92, the games do not help a host city in economic How did growth. Barcelona? What was the, uh, just make putting Barcelona on the map, you mean? I think so. Uh, tourism, uh, productivity, employment levels, skill levels, oh, economic okay. growth. It does not benefit a host city. It's nice that those venues, normally you get a story a year after the Olympics. You go to the host city and you see, you know, weeds poking up through the concrete, unused venues sitting empty. That's the vast majority of the time. The Olympics are a sham. They don't help cities. They put them in billion dollars of debt. It does not help the city. It's all ridiculous to pretend that it does. It's terrible for host cities. And a lot of people say, hey, look, they should just stay in Greece forever. It's the Olympics. The Olympics belong in Greece. Just let it stay in Greece. Summer and Winter Olympics in Greece. They'll have the venues. They'll be used every four years, for you know, which isn't a lot, but they'll be available for other stuff. But n other people won't have to keep building them and letting them fall to pieces. That's assuming, of you course, know what Greece said about that. They sure. said um, they about those th th those Winter Olympics. Here's yeah. we've got a problem. <laughs> we have no <laughs> is, snow. Is, is, is there no winter or snow in Greece? No, there's not. It's a temperate climate, so they would have a, a real problem uh, doing the winter. But but that's well, said, the climate, they, the climate crisis might make it impossible for them to have the summer Olympics there, too. You know, look at yeah. Japan, look at Tokyo uh, because of the climate crisis. Uh, they had to move the marathon a thousand kilometers north. It was wow. just going to be too damn hot where they were going to do it. There's a good reason Greta wasn't asked to light the Olympic flame, by the way. <laughs> yeah. 
well, she would have had to sail there and then it would have taken forever and she would have documented, we'd, you know, we'd still be waiting for that torch to be lit. As we make fun of the global crisis of climate. <laughs> well, because we're kind of trying to be funny. I'm trying to, to uh, you know, be like Jackie Mason. Ah, the Borscht Belt comic. The last yes. of the Borscht Belt comics, Jackie Mason, he died at the age of 93. It's okay. He died on stage at the age of 83 and 73 and 63. He was so old school that for a brief period, Jackie Mason was new again, thanks to a one-man show on Broadway called Jackie Mason's The World According to Me back in 1986. He was 55 at the time, and he would never be bigger. But first, he was a rabbi. Then his father died, and then he wasn't. Then he was a hit on The Ed Sullivan Show, and then he wasn't. Ed said Jackie shot him the finger on air. Jackie said, are you Meshuggah? You're Ed Sullivan. Jackie sued. Jackie won, but Jackie was never on Ed Sullivan again, so maybe Ed won after all. Then he was on other shows doing his Borscht Belt thing, the Joey Bishop show, the Merv Griffin show. Old Jews loved him. Younger Jews, not so much. Everybody else, they said, what? I can't understand him. What did he say? Then, out of nowhere, he was on Broadway, a one-man show. It's very cheap. And everybody loved him. He got a Tony. It was a special Tony, but aren't all Tonys special? His shtick was all the rage. He did about a dozen more stands on Broadway, each one less funny than the one before. It happened. On The Simpsons, he voiced the father of Krusty the Clown. He won an Emmy, playing a rabbi. He played himself on 30 Rock. That worked. He played Rodney Dangerfield on Caddyshack 2. That wasn't so good. A Jew should not play golf. If they won't let you in the clubhouse, why torture yourself for 18 holes? His skewering of minorities, his distaste for the modern world, grew staler and staler until he wasn't so funny anymore. The old Jews, they still loved him, but they kept dying off. And now, Jackie Mason, he's died too. Not for the first time, but almost certainly the last. You know what I think is funny is that you did that whole, that whole story as Jackie Mason. I was like, well, he's going to stop here. Oh, no, he's going to keep going. Oh, no, he's oh, going to. No. Oh. Oh, he's, oh, he's committed. I am committed to our fans, our audience. I want to yeah, give I was them like, wow. full value. And even you, though there you won't know be you're a, Jackie Mason. Even though there won't be. I never saw him. Uh, even though there won't be a show next week, maybe the joy of that Jackie Mason shtick will carry them through for two weeks. Well, you know what? Uh, make sure that you subscribe to us in any one of the podcast aggregators out there so that you don't miss the next show that we we post. Uh, you can do that in iTunes, the, on Google, the Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere they give podcasts away for free. You can subscribe to us and you can rate and review, review us on some of those podcast aggregators. Not all of them actually allow that, but those that do, it does help us out when you review us, especially when you give us five-star reviews, by the way. Totally, uh, <laughs> totally helps us out. Uh, you know, that information can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That's where you'll find links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode, as well as ways to contact us. Dirt at showbizsandbox.com is our email address. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-7263. That's 888-567-SAND. Usually I do that in reverse. 
Usually yes, I say eight, yes, eight, eight, yeah, yeah. Oh well. Well, you know what? We're also on Twitter at Showbiz Sandbox is our handle, or Facebook.com slash showbiz sandbox is where you can like our page. Again, all of that information on our website, showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group MGMT. They can be found on their website, who is MGMT.com. Michael Gilts has a website every week. It's something new and exciting. What is it this week, Michael? This week, Meshuggah, it's taken, so it can't be Meshuggah. But the world according to me, yes, this is available. Maybe I'll take it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's those are all Jackie Mason references. Meshuggah, here's the thing. Uh, it, it's like Schmigadoon, you know? How do you spell it? How do you spell ah. that when you're looking for it, you know? So maybe Meshuggah, not so, not so you're, great. You're uh, a Goyim. What do you care? Yeah, well, well MichaelGiltz.com is that, uh maybe a better how place spell. how do you spell michael gilts uh m-i-c-h-a-e-l-g-i-l-t-z.com and that's where you can find nice. pretty much all of your coverage of the entertainment industry uh can be found there it's aggregated there some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com until two weeks from now play nice <laughs> M-I-C, see you real soon, H-A-E-L-G-I-L-T-Z. You've practiced that, I can tell.